Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. This is episode 21 of season two, and I'm your host, Andy Davis, back in the loft after leaving you for a couple of weeks in the very capable hands of KBB Review editor Rebecca Nottingham. Now, she did a couple of episodes talking to some leading women in the KBB industry as part of our coverage of International Women's Day. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to them yet, I can't recommend it highly enough. Inspiring, enlightening and humbling in equal measure. So check them out. We have some equally fascinating guests on this week's show, too. First up, we're looking at how retailers should be managing their online reputation. What can you do to make sure you know what people are saying about you in online reviews? And how can you ensure it's working positively for you? And of course, this is so important for a market predominantly built on recommendations. So I'll be talking to reputation management expert Claire Beaumont. Then we're moving on to one of the biggest bathroom brands in the industry, Bristan, and its brand new managing director, Martin Mongan. He's new to that job, but of course, most will know him as the former head of hands grower in the UK. So it's good to be back. But before we get started... As you might have heard, we are running the live full Razzmatazz event for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021. It's going to be on Wednesday, September the 15th at the magnificent St George's Hall in Liverpool. Now, normally at this stage, I'd be encouraging you to book your seats and tables, but within a week of us announcing we were doing it, we had 100% officially sold out. So if you do want to book seats or tables, you will need to sign up to our waiting list. Now, it's definitely worth doing as it's still six months away. And there is always shuffling around as people plan their attendance. So to go down on that waiting list, just go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards and see all the info. No promises or guarantees, but it's definitely worth trying. Right, let's talk now about the idea that one of your most valuable assets, your reputation, is something that you need to monitor and maintain over and above just doing a good job and hoping your customers recommend you to their friends. Now, hopefully down the line now, we have Claire Beaumont, who is from Reputation Management Agency, Ignite. Hello, Claire. Hi, Andy. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Up in the loft, everything's warming up. This is much more spring-like. I like this. Yes. Now, firstly, some people out there might recognise your name because before you started work at Ignite, you actually worked at Symphony. I did. I used to work for Symphony for about seven years, I think I did. I left there about two years ago to move on to Ignite to manage the PR and content division that they have there. So you really know the independent KBB retail market. So firstly, let's start with the most obvious question here, which is what is reputation management? What do you actually spend your days doing? How I describe reputation management is... If you Google yourself, essentially, and you see the things that are online, that is your reputation. That is the first kind of impression that people will have if they don't know you already. So put your name into Google, have a look at Google page one, and then have a look and see whether that casts a good impression or a bad impression. And essentially, in a nutshell, that is what I would describe your online reputation as. Right. I guess there's two sides of this, aren't there? One is about how you build up your reputation in the most positive way. And the the other side of it is the more sort of crisis management. You know, if your reputation has taken a real battering for something, how you can deal with that in the short term and then get it back up in the long term. Yes, absolutely. Right. Okay. So let's start then with with that online reputation. You're basically talking about, well, there's two things, isn't there? One is where you appear in that Google rankings, because Google deals a lot with reputation. That's part of the algorithm that it deals with searching. And then there's there's literally the online reviews. So give us an idea of just how powerful 
online reviews actually are when it comes to people researching who to buy a kitchen or a bathroom off? Online reviews, they're such a powerful tool and it's so important to take control of those reviews that are being put online and just to be aware of what people are saying about you online. So there's there's loads of different platforms. Kind of the main ones that I always say to focus on are Trustpilot, Facebook, Google, and then there's a few others that kick about that, you know, they're always useful to know what they've been talked about, but if you really focus on Trustpilot, Google and Facebook, then, you know, you can't really go wrong. And it's about looking to see what's being said about you online. Is it highlighting any problems potentially with customer service? And I'd always, always tell people to respond to every single review that you get, whether it's negative or positive. It's always important to show that you are responding to them, because even if they're not the best, I think people are getting to a point now where, yeah, we understand that things happen, things can go wrong. It might be something with the delivery. It might be just something that can be really rectified quickly. But if you're showing that you're responding to them and not ignoring them, that will be helpful for customers going forward as well. So you're showing that you're almost, you're caring about the things that people are saying and taking it on board, essentially. And it might lead to something huge that changes within the company, potentially highlights an ongoing issue. But more often than not, we know that these things happen and it's how a company deals with it that is one of the main things that really take control of. Your website here has, very conveniently for lazy journalists like me, um, some fantastic stats on there that really sort of sum up some of this stuff. So, for example, hits home with a lot of KBB retailers here, 91% of consumers say they trust online reviews as much as personal recommendations. I mean, that's enormous because a lot of these retailers are built on personal recommendations. Absolutely. It's highlighted it a little bit more in the last 12 months with obviously global pandemics and COVID and things. But it's been going this way for a number of years. I've, I've been shouting about online presence and social media for many, many, many years and just saying, look, have a look and see what people are putting about you online. We can all remember a time where we used to just ask our friends, I need to buy this, where would you go? Or, you know, the old one of putting the yellow pages in front of you as you go through and get your car insurance. And car insurance companies used to they used to start with a letter A and work, work the way through and used to ring so many different companies. But now it's all done online. You put your details in and you can see instantly that people might have issues with their contact centres or something like that, or they might be really high priced. And it's these kind of things that you can really tackle online and see them online. And like you said, people go to these reviews and they believe them more often than not. I think it's it's something like a, as soon as people read four reviews, they believe that that's what's happening. So it's things like that that you need to really think about and take control of and have a look and see what your customers are saying. Okay, so there's two aspects here. One is, that I guess, the reactive dealing with these kind of things. Someone's posted something negative about you and you can react to it. But how do you do a sort of proactive thing of making sure you're getting good reviews? How do you build a positive online reputation as a strategy? So it can take the form of two things. So review management should always be part of it. As soon as you start having an online presence, you are more than likely to have a trust pilot account so take control of that log in and say I'm claiming this business and then you can start to respond to these things 
And it's not just reviews, but it's all about the other things. So social media, your own website. So things like commenting and putting articles in trade press, that's always good because it shows that you are part of that industry and you're really focused on helping that online reputation move forward as well. So it's about looking at the reviews that have been done on there, looking at what you control. So we say take control about as much as that Google page one as you can. So you've got your company website, you've got your social media profiles, things like Twitter, YouTube always tend to rank really well for key search terms. And then look at the search terms that you're looking at. So if you're wanting to go for your company business, if people put in your company business and a local area, and you want to rank highly for that, it's about creating that content that will rank that for that search term as well. Would you recommend, for example, asking your physical customers to leave you good reviews? Do you believe in pushing people to do that? I believe in pushing customers to give honest reviews. It's not just necessarily contacting people that you know are going to leave positive ones. Um, It's about providing an honest and kind of balanced viewpoint as well. And unfortunately, it can be to do with taking the rough with the smooth because how are you ever going to improve if you don't know the things that are going wrong? You can do it either in person for people that potentially come into store, but you look at things like your database You can always contact people if you have their permission, obviously, under GDPR, about whether they would be willing to leave a positive review or just things like kitchen installers, for example, or bathroom installers. If they've had a good experience with that customer, they can always mention it in passing when they're there and say, oh, would you be willing to leave a review online for us? Because it helps people make that decision moving forward. So let's get a scenario here where, you know, Andrew Davis Kitchens, we're doing okay, we're all right, but but we've had a bad experience with a customer and they've left us an absolutely stinking review on one of these sites. They've absolutely taken us to pieces because there's been some mistakes or some things have gone wrong, as is inevitable. So what's the relative impact of bad reviews against good ones? Like how many good ones do I have to have before it cancels out the bad one and vice versa? By and large, you obviously want more positive reviews than negative. That just goes without saying. But if you are shown to be proactive against those negative reviews, so, for example, someone has left a review about Andrew Davis Kitchens. If you then go online and say, we're really sorry for the experience you've had, we'd like to discuss that further, and then pull that conversation offline. So leave them perhaps a dedicated email address, a phone number, so they can contact you specifically or your customer service department specifically to discuss that so what that then shows moving forward if someone does see that negative review online it actually shows that you are dealing with the the issue but you're not having the conversation online because you you never want to get dragged into a conversation about you know this happened or this happened you want to take that conversation offline whenever you can but always show that you're being proactive with responding to all reviews Right, okay, so as long as you are publicly being contrite, if you like, you're publicly offering to discuss it and to fix the problem, that will mitigate the negativity in some way. Yes, absolutely. Is there a way, Claire, and I don't mean to make this into a a negative thing in and of itself, of if you're a large company, for example, I don't want to name any names with it, but if you're a large company, is there a way of manipulating these reviews so that you look incredibly positive, even though anecdotal evidence may suggest that you have an awful lot of negative experience? Not really anymore. Platforms like Trustpilot, 
ask you to invite either all your customers or none of your customers to leave reviews. And like the, it's about the wording. It's about leaving honest reviews of the situation and experience that you've had. I mean, all companies want to know that you're doing well. You want positive reviews on there. But there is things that in place with these platforms that will help the consumers to believe that the reviews that they are reading are truthful. And then that's not to say that kind of negative or fake reviews or trolls aren't an issue because I am very much aware that, you know, there are companies out there that are dealing with trolls or fake reviews. Perhaps, you know, it might be um, like an employee that's taken a bugbear against what's going on and started to leave negative reviews. And I have seen that across all industries. As much as I keep saying it's that honest, reflective experience that people have had. If you get a series of negative reviews in the line, there's perhaps something more going on. And it's just getting consumers to be aware that the reviews should reflect them. By and large, yes, you can trust them, but potentially just do a little bit more digging. Right. And I think what's also interesting about this, which I hadn't really considered before I started looking into it, which is how your reputation might also govern your recruitment for new staff. I mean, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. Anyone looking to come and work for you is also looking you up online. They are, yes. it's um, Again, it's become more of a thing in the last few years that, and as much as I hate to say it, that kind of the younger generation want to work for companies that have seen to to be doing good and to be a good company to work for. So um, the old practices that might have been happening 10, 15, 20 years in the past, you can't get away with that kind of stuff anymore. How you treat employees is very clear online. People can post about their experiences. So, for example, things like Glassdoor, Indeed, they all put, again, reviews of the companies that you worked for, that they can be made public nowadays. And again, it, it highlights potential issues that do need dealing with in terms of employment. Okay, so I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, well, this sounds really interesting. I haven't really thought about this before. What should I be doing if I'm a small local business? What should I be doing today to sort of get me on this road to assess what my online reputation is? What, what should I be doing right now? I would say the first point of call would be to go into incognito in Google because people don't know that uh, Google search results are necessarily the personalized to the searches that you've done. So if you open an incognito tab, put your business name into Google and see what comes up. So that should kind of reflect what people see first and have a look, look at the first page of Google. And because obviously we've got the kind of the right hand side, the Google My Business as well, which gives you a snapshot of the reviews that you've received. And just have a look and see on that page one, what are the links that are being shown? Are they overall positive? Are they overall negative? Are they just a bit indifferent? And if it's anything other than massively positive then you need to start taking control about that have a look and work with your marketing department your suppliers they can often offer experience and advice about how to get a better online presence and look at things like your website is it optimized for your search terms so is it optimized for your business name is it optimized for the local area in which you work have a look at the, the Google, we call it the Google Knowledge Center down the right-hand side. Is that up to date with your correct contact details, your website? What do the reviews say? And if it says underneath that, claim this knowledge panel, claim it. 
take control because you don't want anybody else to potentially take control of that. Sometimes we describe it to comp- to people and companies that we work with. You have, for example, 10 slots on that page one that you want to take control of. Ideally, you want to have all positive. You want to have them all under your control. But we know that that's not necessarily possible in all cases. But you do want your website to be ranking kind of one, two, and then look at the other potentially review platforms. Trustpilot always works really well and ranks really highly when they put people's searches in and just seeing what other opportunities are out there. Speak to the suppliers that you work with. Do they offer opportunities to do online marketing training, for example? Because I know that there are some companies out there that that would do support suppliers in that way. And, And just seeing what is available to help because it is such a new opportunity for some retailers. I mean, some retailers are doing really great things, but then sometimes they're not because it's just... It can be new and it can be kind of a bit scary. As with all things digital, once you get stuck down that foxhole, you can never get out of it again once you start looking into everything. And I guess it's about breaking it down to manageable chunks of what you can realistically do and what you have time to realistically do. But there are some very fundamental things that you can get started with. Look, as I say, Claire, this is a fantastic subject and one that we can revisit and talk about again and again and again. But I'm afraid the clock's beating us. I am going to ask you now, though, to damage your personal reputation significantly by asking you the most difficult question of all. And that is Claire Beaumont from Ignite. What is your most positive feel-good movie? What is your entry into the silence of the laminates? I have to say, um, I'm a huge fan of The Rock, and I love all films that he's in. So I've just spent the weekend with my kids re-watching the Jumanji films, which uh, I just find really funny. Highly recommend anything rocking it. I'll let you off that. They are fantastic. My son loves those films. Uh, you know, I quite like The Rock. I, I think he's quite a funny guy. I met him once, sort of. I say met him, he walked past me it's always quite disconcerting because you think oh my god that's the rock and then when he actually walked past me i'm taller than he is of course so it's kind of weird you think he's going to be this enormous kind of guy but he was actually shorter than me which is obviously that's the only thing i have over him is height (laughs) everything else about him i clearly is inferior yeah go on jumanji i'll let you off that one you have boosted your reputation back up again claire you're okay thank you uh, so, look, thank you so much for this. I'll let you get back on. I'm sure you've got some clients to go and see. Um, Harry and Meghan, presumably, you're seeing them later. Absolutely. Piers Morgan, you're probably doing him as well, I'm sure, just to sort, sort their reputations out. So, thank you so much for your time, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Okay, let's talk now to the new CEO of one of the biggest brands in the bathroom market, Bristan, and that is, of course, Martin Mongan. Hello, Martin. How are you? I'm very well, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Up here in the loft, as always. Are you at home or the office today? I'm actually at home today, yeah. I am uh, I am in the loft also. Yeah, I bet your loft is much nicer than mine. <laughs> I bet yours is, a, yours is a snazzy loft conversion, isn't it? it, it to be honest, that, no, it's kind of what a, it's a sort of old Victorian three-story house, so I think it can probably always was a room. But, but yeah, no, I'm in a cupboard. That, that sounds better. I'm in the loft with the Christmas decorations. <laughs> Let's set this up, Martin. Most people will know you for your previous incarnation. You were the UK MD for Hansgrohe. Yeah. And you stepped down from that in February 2019, I think, a couple of years ago, more or less to the day. Yeah. And you actually left the bathroom industry altogether. I did. 
But then a few weeks ago, lo and behold, you were unveiled as the new CEO of the Bristan Group. And to quote Godfather 3, just when I thought you was out, they pulled you back in. So what tempted you back? Following on from the Godfather 3 theme, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So uh, listen, I, I, you know, I, I kind of never left the industry, even though I, I kind of stepped away. The role I was doing and, and the, the industry I was in, obviously publishing very similar to yourselves. So I was still connected uh, to the industry and was still conversations with various people. Bristan are a, a Masco business as Hans Growers, two-thirds a, a Masco business. So uh, so I was known to the people at Masco and had some dealings with them over the last six months. And it became evident that this job was going to become available. And given you know the challenges in, in other life, this just seemed like a, a great opportunity for me to, to come in. I, I always felt like I had another big job uh, left in me in the industry i'd kind of gone back to do to do the family thing and obviously you know over the last 12 months i don't think any of us have probably ever seen our family as much uh, in our lives so uh, so yeah so it, it kind of felt a natural uh, thing for me to to come back into the industry and get the opportunity to work along a, you know a, a great bunch of people at bristol and obviously a market leading brand so yeah here i am now, everyone knows Bristan, of course. They all know the brand. But can you give us a quick overview of the Bristan group and the scale of it in the UK? Because you say this is a big job. Yeah. So in, in terms of turnover, it's a £70 million plus uh, business. Uh, the majority of that, obviously, is is, is Bristan brand. But also, we, we have heritage. Uh, and that business is, is still a healthy business. I think there's some great opportunities within that business. Uh, and that's stuff we're looking at at the moment. And then we have a third brand, Cascade, which is kind of our no-frills entry uh, uh, market uh, brand. As I said, very healthy business, still market leader uh, from a Bristol point of view in most of the uh, categories that we operate in. A big group, big challenge, and you've taken it over, that organisation over, at a time when there's still an enormous amount of uncertainty, unpredictability. So when you sat down there on your first day, what's the, what's the first things you've got to take care of? Yeah, so you've got to look at the situation we're in, and, and it, you know it is a very, very strange time to come into a business when eighty percent of the workforce, well, the, the office workforce, are working from home. So obviously, understanding how how we manage to still operate well as a business during this time is is, is the most pressing concern. So, uh, but I, I do honestly believe that the business has done that exceptionally well. Our service levels are, are as good as as they were pre-pandemic. We we have risen to that challenge. The next one is, you know, what, what does the market look like going forward? The buying habits that, you know, have those changes that were, were in evidence anyway that have speeded up quite rapidly in the last 12 months in terms of people's want to buy online, people's want to buy local. We need to understand what that means uh, for us going forward as well as a business. Plenty to, to keep me busy, that's for certain. One of the biggest challenges I, I think that people are going to face is this idea of, of the people involved in big organisations. There's issues with supply and there's issues with manufacturing and all those kind of things, but these are kind of procedural and process-driven problems that need to be solved. Whereas getting people back together, getting teams back together is such a challenge for the people in the big chair like you. Yeah, so the, the, the two years I've had out of the industry uh, working for my wife's publishing business, the magazine she, uh, she has is, is about commercial interiors mainly office but also hospitality and, and so we have been debating that in the magazine for the last sort of six to 12 months is the office dead what does the new office look like the hub and spoke approach where you have a, a sort of head office in the city center and lots of local officers 
you know, there's so many debates, and I, I kind of think it's come full circle. You know, that there is no doubt there will need to be a level of flexibility that we haven't seen previously in the workforce. But, you know, at the end of the day, the culture of a business is built on people. I'm a great believer in that culture is built by people being together. Working remotely can be lonely. It's difficult to feel like you're part of something when you, you, you sit in your, your dining room or your spare bedroom or your loft. So, yeah, so I, I'll be keen to bring people back. But we also acknowledge, obviously, the, the, you know, what we need to do to, to make the workplace safe and also to make the workplace somewhere where they, people actually want to, to leave their house uh, and the comfort of their own house, having been used to working there for 12 months, and, and make it somewhere that they, they want to get in the car and drive to. So whether that's amenities, whether it's, you know, having having a gym, whether it's having areas where they can they can work differently, where they can work quietly, area obviously making sure that we've got plenty of space so that people don't have to sit on top of each other. These are, will all be challenges, but at the end of the day, it's important that we get the office alive and kicking again as soon as possible. You touched on it already a bit, but give us an idea of how Bristan have actually performed over the last 12 months. Because, you know, unlike Hansgrove, for example, Bristan's a big volume business. You've got, to, you've got to shift the units, haven't you? And you've had a lot of, you know, I'm guessing a lot of containers on the sea. I'm guessing you've faced a lot of the big supply issues that people have had. So give us an idea of what's happened over the last 12 months. Yeah, listen, it's, it's been a massive challenge. But as I said, I think we've fared better than most. You know, we, we have people on the ground in China. We are able to duck and dive a little bit. We've, we've really pushed our relationships with our shipping handlers. But, you know, we've had to do some of the exceptional stuff. We've air freighted product, particularly when, you know, it's, it's been for projects and you know, obviously there's been time uh, limits on, on when the product was needed. We've, we've switched product to, to rail. We brought product in uh, from the Far East on the railways. And, you know, and we've, we've doubled the amount of, of containers we've got on the sea. So, you know, we've really, really worked hard. Our on time in full for most of our customers is still well above 90%. So uh, we have done a very, very good job and got to take my hat off to the people within the business for doing that. I mean, I guess if anyone can afford to take over the whole of the Orient Express to ship taps, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. Moscow, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I, w- I wish it was that glamorous. I'd, I'd have taken a journey, but uh, yeah, I'm sure it was another big container that just happened to be on a railway rather than a ship. Now, one of the big issues you've got going there is, is an issue that's faced, that is facing and has faced every single bathroom manufacturer for ages. And I know it was a massive bugbear for you at Hansgrower. But as I say, Bristol is this volume business. So what's happening there about online retail? Because I'm guessing the proportion of products sold Bristan online is much higher than the proportion sold Hansgrower online. So what's, what's the strategy there? How do you see that fitting into to the retail side of your business? Yeah, so, I mean, listen, it's... You know, I talked about it before in terms of how people's buying habits have changed. And, you know, I'm sure we, we all sit in the house and the doorbell goes, you know, a number of times a week with a DPD van driver or the Hermes van driver dropping off products. So we need to be available uh, at the place where our customers, whether they're the consumer or the installer, want to, uh, to to purchase the product. Of course, that's, you know, more and more online, but it's also click and collect. You know, with, with, with the emergence of Screwfix and Toolstation, we've seen that become a, a significant part of the market. But also we're working with, you know, most of our merchant, independent and national, on their online strategies. And, and they know that this is now an area of the marketplace that they uh, they need to address, uh, you know, as, as retailers uh, have, have realised as well. So, no, I think it's, it's, it's part of the market. Certainly for Bristan, uh, a lot of our business is what we call distress or single purchase uh, items. So 
people are, you know, the need to fix the leaking tap, you know, the, the fact that we've all been at home listening to that kitchen tap drip or those jobs are getting uh, done as, as an urgent case now. So being able to, to, to get that product to somebody within 24 hours is absolutely critical. And in a lot of cases, that is an online purchase that, uh, that gets it. It's here to stay, you know, and we, we've all kind of got to get on with it. And I guess there's a level of price transparency at that kind of point in the market as well, rather than, than perhaps isn't as clear at the top end luxury part. The price is the price, isn't it? No, it is. And listen, it, you know, we're in a fortunate position. We operate 99% of what we do is in one country. So we've got one pricing in our system. A lot of the European manufacturers are operating, obviously, across the continent and beyond. And there are so many different structures and pricing models in place that it becomes very difficult to manage that. So we're fortunate in that position. So I'm picture the scene here now, Martin. I'm, I'm guessing you, you, you're walking into an enormous oak-panelled boardroom with an enormous door that creaks as you go in for your interview for this job. And I'm guessing one of the questions you're inevitably asked is, look, what's your vision for Bristown? What's your vision for this group? Where do you see it in the in, you know, in three, four, five years' time? So what's the answer you gave them? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, to build on the strengths of, of what this business has always delivered, which is, you know, industry-leading service, reliable product that absolutely does the job that it's, it's supposed to do, and, you know, relationships that, that go uh, above and beyond. There's nothing broken here. Like everything, you know, we, we could do things slightly better. There are processes that could be done differently, but the challenge isn't a great deal different to the challenge that I, I went into Hans Grow with. It's, it, it's, it's about building on, you know, what a great business this already is, and, and harnessing the, the strength of the people and, and building really good relationships with our customers. And having a sales background, it's always been my philosophy that if we know our customers better than our competitors do, then we will get more business. And nowadays, that's not just relationships and taking a, you know, a box of donuts into, into the trade counter or the showroom. That's absolutely about drilling into the data of, of what a customer buys from you, but more importantly, what a customer doesn't buy from you. So obviously, you start to look at how we harness that information, all the touch points that people have, the good CRM system. You know, We, we, can, we can really start to to move the business into being data-driven, digital, that has to be the future. And that's uh, the vision I have for the business is to build on, on the strengths and, and get smarter at doing it. got to admit, Martin, if I was sat opposite you in that interview and you'd, you'd said that about donuts, I would have marked you down right there and then. <laughs> Don't ever knock donuts. <laughs> One of the things that's happening a lot in the moment, there's a lot of consolidation going on. There's lots of companies buying each other, and there's a certain inevitability of that in, in some sectors of the market, shower enclosures, etc. Is part of your brief to look out for acquisition? The brands under the Bristan Group, is that likely to grow? I, I, listen, Masco are uh, an acquisitive uh, business, there's absolutely no doubt. And if, if, if there's an opportunity there uh, and they believe it's, it's right for, for the wider group, then certainly... Uh, you know, and, you know, I know we've looked at many businesses over the years. So, uh, listen, if the opportunity's there and it fits, then certainly that, that is something that would be available to us. That sounds like I watched this space to me. <laughs> Wander into a boardroom with some donuts and say, I'd like to buy your company, please. <laughs> yeah. So, listen, the most important question here, of course, that everyone wants to know the answer to, Martin, is that when you've had a bad day, it's a new job, you don't know what's happening, you've gone home, you've flopped into the sofa, you've picked up the remote control, you put on your f- most favourite feel-good movie to cheer you up. So, Martin Mongan, the new CEO of Bristan, what is your entry into the silence of the laminates? <laughs> so, bizarrely, it's a film that I got introduced to a, a management uh, course, I think at Cola, I was in, in the States, 
And um, it, it's in pursuit of happiness with Will Smith, who, to be honest, I'm, I'm not usually a big fan of. I have, have him in with Tom Hanks sort of pile. Kind of wasn't too bad at the start of the career, but kind of. But uh, but that film, based on a true story, is yeah definitely uh, would fit that bill. It is a very good film, and he's very good in this. I'm with you on Will Smith. I can take him or leave him. I think he's a bit of a one-trick pony, but he's very good in that. He has a good moustache in it, if I seem to remember. Yeah. Uh, and I like the fact that you've chosen the very corporate answer, which is good. <laughs> because I've got a feeling that's, that you've got a piece of paper in front of you and you've crossed out Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> no, Nemo would have probably been the other one. Fact in Nemo. Well, not mine. Thanks for sparing us at a time when you've got a lot. You've got a lot of work to do there. It's a brand new job, and you're probably still finding your way around the building. So, thank you very much for filling us in, and we'll catch up with you again in a few months' time and see how it's going. Pleasure as ever. Thanks very much. Cheers, mine. Bye. Now. Huge thanks to Claire Beaumont and Martin Mongan for coming on the podcast this week. Some really good stuff in there. If you want to help me improve my online reputation, feel free to go onto your podcast app of choice, such as Apple Podcasts, and leave us a glowing review that I can get printed on a T-shirt and wear around the house. See you next time.